Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Paid in Full Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Rausch, and this is episode number 12, another week down. Thank you guys so much for listening and uh, keeping this thing alive and uh, inspiring me to do this every week. It's been awesome, and I'm so excited to share with you guys some more information. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. That really helps me out through uh, just Apple Podcasts is the best way to do it. And uh, if you're feeling generous, give me a five-star rating, uh, you know, if you're liking what you're hearing and uh, you're finding this helpful. Also, share it. Share it with friends, colleagues, artists, managers, whoever you want, or at least share some of the information that you're learning because that's always a great way to reinforce this uh, and your understanding and all the things we're talking about. So appreciate you guys and let's dive right in. So today we are going to talk about the wonderful world of record labels and record deals. Uh, This is an exciting world. A lot of people have been asking me to start talking about this stuff and I know I've been harping on some foundational stuff with royalties and publishing and copyright, some of the non-glamorous stuff. But again, you guys have to understand some of those foundational things before we can talk about more advanced things because they're all interconnected in so many different ways. But today we are going to overview um, record deals and the different types of deals that are out there in general and just what to expect, some of the key things to know about and uh, understand. And again, we'll be talking so much more about a lot of these different points really in depth in future episodes. I like to do this overview style just to touch on important factors of the music industry so we can kind of see you know, a clear view of uh, you know, the, the moving parts of all angles here. All right. So let's dive in now. Um, I want to start off by telling a little bit of a, a story about an artist I met before we get into the thick of it today. Because, you know, when we talk about record deals, um, look, we're talking about the sound recording side. We're not talking about publishing today or the musical composition side. So artists, or if you're a label, you know, a record label that's starting out, or you're someone who wants to build a record label and understand the different types of deals, this is going to be for you. So this is the sound recording side. Also, um, if you're an independent artist, you own your sound recordings and you're distributing those sound recordings on your own. So this episode is for you too. Now, I want to just say this, even though we're going to be talking about some main types of deals, there are no rules in this world, just like most of the music industry. There's no rules. You really have the flexibility to kind of do whatever you want. So you always have to think about your individual career. And that's why I kind of want to share this story about this artist who broke a lot of rules that I found very fascinating recently. His name is David Sebastian. I met him a couple years ago. I had him on uh, as a guest on another podcast I do with a friend of mine called Mama We Made It. And uh, we were doing this podcast over the course of three years where we really highlighted a lot of stories of um, artists and creatives in, um, you know, in the entertainment world or the creative world and really kind of shared their journey. And we, it was a long form style of podcast. So he was an artist that we had on. And uh, at the time, he just, you know, he has such an incredible story. It was so fascinating Uh, definitely check that out. Again, the podcast is called Mama We Made It, and it's episode number 57 with David Sebastian. Now, uh, it was back in 2018 that we did that interview, uh, and again, it was fascinating. But since then, David's been working on an album, and uh, I've been following him just through Instagram and what he's been doing since. And uh, so he recently released this album called We Are God. And I'm always curious, you know, in new ways that artists are rolling out their album. How are they distributing it? What marketing are they doing? What platforms are they partnering with? Um, You know, if they're doing it through a record deal, I'm always curious and seeing new ways people are putting out their music. So David did something I haven't seen before. And I I just really uh, thought it was fascinating because it breaks a lot of rules. So what he did was he said, look, if you want my album... This is the price. It was $7.77. And if you listen to the episode, uh, the number seven has a lot of meaning in David's world. So he said, the album costs $7.77. If you want to buy the album, Venmo me or send it through you know, uh, the Cash App. Or uh, he had a few different ways that you can send him money. So you send him $7.77, take a screenshot of your payment, and text that screenshot to a phone number that he has listed. 
So you text that to him. Once he receives that and it gives confirmation of the payment sent, he then sends you a private link of the album. Now, I just thought that was really cool because it's not on Spotify. It's not on iTunes. It, you can't get the album anywhere else except by doing it this way. And also, he said, look, you can pay me $7.77 or if you want, you could leave a generous tip. So obviously, there were people... And he was sharing this uh, too through his Instagram when he released his album. People were leaving him, you know, $500, $1,000, multiple thousands of dollars, sending him money for his album. And it was such a cool rollout because he didn't adhere to anything that we would think of how to distribute an album. Instead, he took all the control and wasn't scared of this is going to you know, affect my listener base. This isn't, isn't going to get my album out there in the right way. But in fact, he started to make a good amount of money, probably more than he would make if the album was out there just streaming, you know, for, you know, fractions of a penny per stream. And also what I thought was the coolest part was by sending him money for his album, by actually paying for that album and getting a private link, it created this kind of exclusivity and it showed way more support from a fan standpoint. And it was such a cool way to engage with fans because you felt as a fan and just a lover of music that when you sent him this money and $7 isn't that much money. You know, we used to, when CDs were out, you would pay a lot more than that. You know, if you go download a full album, um, you know, it's 10 bucks. But because we stream and we're so used to getting music for free or paying $9.99 a month for Spotify or Apple uh, you know, to, to stream, it was really cool to just take that money one time and give it to an independent artist that's doing something their own original way. And you felt like you were supporting someone. And that actually feels good from a consumer standpoint to show that support. And we show support in a lot of different ways. We buy concert tickets. We buy merch. But why can't we also still buy albums? And I don't mean physical. You don't have to have a CD player. But to have a private download link does make you feel like you're part of something that's kind of exclusive and special. And I really, really like that. And uh, the album is fantastic. He's just done such a good job in putting these songs together. He's a great artist. The songs are just, uh, just really meaningful. So go check it out. But more so, I share this because he was able to target his fan base, really, really show that he cares about his fans and more importantly, his fans care about him. And he wasn't scared to do something different and really led with, you know, with that courage, you know, going against the grain and saying, you know what, I'm not going to be scared to keep something exclusive, even if one person buys it from me, you know, really showing that this is truly about his art and connecting with fans and sharing this in the right way that was right for him and his career and what he wants to do and uh, do it in this new, cool, creative way that I personally haven't seen before. Maybe other artists have done it, but I haven't seen something this exclusive and it's maintained like that. Literally, he just put another post about, hey, if you want my album, this is how you have to do it. You can't, it's, it's kind of, you have to go through this way of doing it. And I just love that because we, you know, so many artists and people just in our industry, we're always strategizing about what's the best way to get out there and, you know, getting as many followers as we can and, you know, doing all these things to try to, you know, consistently keep up with how things are changing. But it was great to see an artist kind of take that power and say, this is what I'm doing because this is what I want to do and what's going to work for me. You can either be on board or not, but the ones that are on board, those are my true fans. Those are the people that are my ride or die, the ones that truly support me, and that's why I'm even doing this. So it was really refreshing to see someone do it and also see the success that came out of it. So just wanted to share that with you guys before we start talking about you know, record deals, distribution deals, and all these ways of how deals are structured. 
sometimes if you look, if you're an independent artist, you can do whatever you want and just abandon deals and just do this on your own dime and however you want, be as creative as you want. So just wanted to take time to share that and give you guys something to think about. And these are great ways to continue to push our industry forward and uh, continue to think creatively about this new digital age of, of music. All right. So you can break the rules. So everything I'm going to share today, um, you know, it's, it's on a general sense. But remember, there are no rules here. Do what's always best for you, the timing that you're at right now in your personal career. So without further ado, let's jump into record deals. So when we get into the record label side and, and the different types of deals we can do, um, I'm going to kind of parallel this to like how we talked about uh, different types of publishing deals in the last episode. So there's really six main types of record deals. Now, these types of deals can be structured in so many different ways, almost an infinite amount of different ways, and it's changing all the time. So everything is negotiable. Everything's customizable. Again, so you know, take this with a grain of salt. This is kind of an umbrella type of look. But there's six types of recording deals that are, that are generally out there. Now, before we get into the types of deals, there are some common terms that are shared throughout all of these deals that you guys should know about or just be familiar with. Because what's good in knowing how a record deal is structured if you don't actually understand some of the language and terminology that are really, really key components to these deals? Because it's not just like, hey, this is the type of deal I want to do. Give me my advance and let's keep this moving. In any deal, what's mostly going to happen, especially if it's a major type of deal or a significant type of deal, is the lawyers are going to negotiate it and um, they're going to give you the deal points, uh, probably a summary of those points. But more importantly, you should really have a strong understanding of the the, all the logistics about how these deals work because the smallest of words can change an entire deal. You know, two, there are two types of deals that can look exactly the same, but with a couple words in that language that can mean totally different things and that can affect how much money you're going to make, how long you're in the deal, what your options are. There's so many different things when it comes down to the actual terminology that can sway a deal one way or the other. So really, really important to understand some of these key terms. But um, again, in later episodes, we'll be diving deep into them, but I'll express some of them now. So first, you have to understand what type of deal are you doing? Is it a distribution deal? Is it a 360 deal? Is it a um, you know traditional record deal? Is it a net profits deal? There's all these types of deals that we'll get into. But first, you have to understand what type of deal, because that's going to reflect, you know, your ownership, you know, who owns the song, you know, that's always the the key component is the ownership of the actual masters and what your obligations are. So first really get a handle on what type of deal. Then uh, there's always the term. You're going to hear term a lot. Term is basically how long is that contract? How long does this deal last? Now, sometimes it could be a set amount of years, like a time period. Sometimes it could be based on the, you know, a, a time period after your obligations are met, after your album is released. So understanding the term is really, really important. It could also be based on, you know, deliverables. You have to understand reversions. When do you actually get rights back? You know, um, when do your release commitments are? All these things kind of reflect and change how long you're actually in the deal. So there's a lot of different components when you think about the term. Now, with the recording commitment, what is your actual commitment? Is this for one song? Is this for one album? Is this for multiple albums? What do you actually have to deliver? What actually has to be uh, recorded under this deal? Because you have to meet that recording commitment. So recording commitment is, uh, is something you really need to keep in mind. That also goes with the recording procedure. How, how these records are made, staying within budget. There's going to be you know, provisions about your recording procedure and how that's done. And uh, also the release commitment. Just because you record something, is it actually going to be released by the label? Are they committed to releasing this? Because sometimes your actual term can be based on the release of an album. But what happens if that album is actually never released? So you want to understand the release commitment here. If you're doing your side, 
you know, we hear so many times that artists get shelves, they're shelved, their music gets shelved. And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be very hard to get out of a deal in that circumstance. So you want to understand there's your recording commitment, but there also has to be a release commitment so that album can be released publicly. Um, there's also probably going to be some name and likeness. You know, we're not just talking about ownership of your recordings, but the use of your name and likeness. There's artwork involved. Uh, there's things like websites involved too, things that use your name and likeness because that can reflect other things that the labels are part in, uh, take part in like merchandise or, um, you know, use your, na- your name on album covers or posters or promotional materials. So understand how your name and likeness is also used. Um, under- also, obviously the royalties, is it going to be based on a royalty rate? Is it going to be based on profits? How does that royalty rate change? Is it based on number of units? Does the royalty increase through options? Um, how does that rate affect, you know, uh, in different countries? What is that actual royalty rate? Because it, there's so many areas where this rate can be different. It could be based on, you know, mid-priced albums or, you know, singles or, you know, live albums, greatest hits. There's so many different ways that your actual royalty rate can change. Um, also same with like if producers are involved or uh, if, if publishing is involved. So rates are actually really important. It's not just this is my set rate for everything. A lot of times the rate can depend and change based on so many different moving parts of, uh, of your contract. So understanding the royalties and your royalty rate is, uh, is extremely important. And that also goes into advances. You know, a lot of the times the artist just sees the advance and, you know, hey, here's your lump sum of money up front. This is great. This is your, you know, advance you get in the beginning. This is an advance for marketing. This is an advance for videos. Um, You know, here's money for touring. But often when you get an advance, you know, say you have, uh, you do a record deal and you get a $250,000 advance up front paid to you. Well, how much of that actually goes to legal fees? How much of that goes to your manager? How much of that goes to your business manager? What are you actually taking home? Then what other advances are coming after that that you are going to be responsible for recouping, such as marketing costs? You can get a $250,000 advance up front, but you might build up another $350,000 in marketing costs that come over the course of the next several years. So you can definitely be in, a, in the hole a lot more than just that initial $250,000 you got up front. So understanding how advances work and uh, also how they change if there's options involved, if there's, you know, if you're going to be getting advances later in your term, um, if you're going to be getting advances, if you know, depending on the number of units sold, there's a lot of different ways advances can be structured. So don't just take it for face value that you know you sign a deal and here's your lump sum of money. Because at the end of the day, you there's this happens to a lot of artists too, where you get an advance and uh, you're in a deal, and seven years down the line, you don't have the same manager, you don't have the same lawyer, you don't have the same business manager, but you are still responsible for all of the money that got advanced to you to pay all that back to the label. So after everyone gets their piece, which is fine, it's normal, but just understand advances can be a lot more than just a check, all right? So these are all key things, and again, we'll, we'll be going deep into, into this stuff later. Um, you also wanna understand profits and expenses. So you'll see a lot of these provisions in agreements too, especially with like net profit deals, uh, understanding what are actually considered profits, what are actually considered expenses and how those affect the agreement. Uh, Understanding the accounting period, you know, is this a a deal that is, uh, do they pay you, do they, you know, pay you royalties or account to you royalties uh, twice a year? Is it semi-annual? Is it quarterly? How does that actually get paid? And um, then just the other kind of components that we, we briefly will talk about is like, you know, marketing, your videos, your tour support, ancillary things aside from just the sound recording um, that you do, all these other things that get kind of incorporated into a deal that's uh, really, really important that can be based on advances too and uh, just add different costs, different expenses, things like that. So you have to really think about all these different ways Uh, all these different components that get inside of a record contract and a record deal because some include it, some don't. So you really have to, you know, get a handle on 
what is this record deal all about? What do you want? And uh, what are your what your expectations are? So, um, and then the last thing, obviously, the territory. You know, is this a U.S. deal? Is it a worldwide deal? How are other territories around the world affected? And um, understanding where that album is going to be released, where it's going to be distributed, and um, the different kind of royalty rates that apply, the different costs that apply, the the different marketing that applies. There's a lot of different things that happen with the territory too. So. These are just some key words to just get our minds warmed up that look, when we talk about record deals, it's not a conversation of this deals like this, this deals like that. There's so many different components here that all can change the way a record deal is structured. So it's, uh, it's, it's quite complicated and uh, you really have to get a handle on some of this stuff. But I'm just saying this terminology now, don't think you have to understand it all right now. But I'm getting our brains warmed up to hear some of these words because as I have more episodes, I'm going to be saying these terms over and over again. And over time, you'll, you'll start to pick it up if this stuff is not familiar with you already. Okay? So now let's get into the different types of deals and kind of see how these different terms can be applied to uh, different types of deals. So the first one we're going to talk about is the 360 deal. We've all heard the 360 deal, but what does that actually mean? Why do we have that term? And uh, the 360 deal was really created kind of out of when uh, the digital age came and record sales, you know, actual CD and physical sales weren't the driving force for record companies as they once were. And uh, especially as we got into, you know, digital streaming, it just, they, they took a lot of revenue away from record labels in the beginning. And uh, this 360 deal kind of came around at that time. And it's basically like an all-inclusive deal where record labels want to be a part of an artist's um, career in a lot of different ways that extend well beyond just the recordings. Now, remember, record deals traditionally are when you know you sign to a record label and they own your master recordings and they fund your recordings and you know the process for that they fund marketing and all these other things that go with the actual recordings but when we're talking about a 360 deal a record company wants to be involved well beyond just the recordings and there's a lot of reasons for this is you know some of it has to do with, you know, if you're an artist and a record label's really heavily investing in you and uh, their work to invest in you, their marketing, their promotions, their way of building your career and developing your career can, you know, add a lot of different streams of income, a lot of different opportunities for artists. And they feel that because they're doing all this work, uh, that um, it would be right to participate in all of these other ancillary opportunities. So, um, and it also allows them to kind of protect their risk a little more. They might be willing to give more money to do a 360 deal, a bigger advance to fund this stuff, but that also means they have more opportunities to recoup that. So it's less just based on the record sales. So a 360 deal is going to be more inclusive than just your traditional record deal. And it can include everything from merchandising and touring all the way to endorsements and sponsorships, partnerships, different products. Um, I've even seen acting included. So say an artist gets an acting role in a TV show or, or a commercial that can be included and uh, the labels can participate in some of that revenue too. It also can extend to publishing. You know, typically we don't see publishing in a record deal and because publishing, like you guys know, like I've said a million times, you know, we keep the sound recording world and publishing world separate. But under a 360 deal, I've seen tons of 360 deals include publishing participation where uh, the labels or the labels kind of publishing partner, especially if it's a major like Sony and Sony TV or Universal and Universal Music Publishing, they can get both sides where they feel, look, we're building up the sound recording and we also want to build up the publishing because they're so interconnected. The artist is the songwriter. So why not participate in both the record, the sound recording and the actual songwriting? So publishing can often be included in a 360 deal. That's why it's important to know about publishing and so many other elements because when you're looking at a 360 deal, you have to understand so many different areas of your own career because they could all be included under this deal and affect what actually comes down to you in terms of money. So also you should know a 360 deal did derive from a traditional record deal. So 
we are talking about the label is going to own those sound recordings. And, um, you know, you're basically doing, you you know, as an artist, you record as a work for hire generally, and the label does own those recordings and they're going to give you money uh, in the form of of an advance for all of this. So, you know, a typical um, 360 deal, uh, I'll walk you through kind of like an example of some of the things you would see there just to, to help this make some sense. But say, you know, you do a term and it's based, you know, it's a one album deal starting there. So you, you do a deal for one album and maybe the term extends nine months after the release of that album. And uh, so your recording commitment would be, you know, one full album. Uh, but, uh, and they're always going to want to know when you can record that album. So say, hey, your recording commitment's going to be one album, deliver those recordings within six months or nine months. Um, and then after that release, you'll stay within that deal for another nine months. And then maybe they'll have like five different options. So when we talk about options, that means they have an option to extend the, uh, you know, the, the contract up to five times and each option can be a recording commitment. So that means for five different albums uh, that come after that. And each one, basically what a label is going to do is they're going to see how the first album does. If it performs well, they'll probably extend the second option and third one, fourth one, and so on. If you continue to do well um, and they'll just keep you on board. It's like kind of renewing a deal. If you can think about it like that. And, um, you know, in a 360 deal, they're going to want some of the recording, the touring, the branding, the merch, publishing, and all ancillary stuff. You'll have an artist royalty rate. So uh, like a traditional deal, uh, the rates, let's say the rate is 15%. So, uh, you know, that's that's your artist rate for US and um, different territories are going to be deducted from that. So a, percent, a lower percentage of the US rate and say that 15% royalty rate starts with the initial album, then uh, maybe the you know first option will be 16%. The second option will be 17%. Third option will be 17.5%. So your royalty rate can actually, um, you know, increase. And like we talked, you know, we talked a little about sound recording royalties in uh, p- prior episodes, but that 15% rate is basically based on your sales. So that's uh, what we talk about in terms of an artist rate. Now, for some of the ancillary stuff, they may take 10% of that revenue. Uh, I've seen that in a lot of contracts is, is kind of standard. Um, for touring, I've seen between 5 and 10% of your touring revenue. And um, it can be structured in different ways. You know, they'll give you money to support some of these things. Like they can give you an advance to support your touring, um, in advance to, to do your merch. There's other things that they'll do to warrant this commission because they'll fund it through an advance. But because of that, they're going to want to get, um, you know, a participation in that revenue. So those are some of the things you would see in a 360 deal that just is included. It's, it's got a lot of different components here. Um, it's got the elements of kind of a traditional deal, but really extends to all these other things that you may be involved in in your career. So really, really important to think about that when you're doing a record deal and what that investment is like. And often, you know, the advance might be bigger. Um, that can happen because they're, uh, you know, participating in a lot more than just your recording. So it might seem attractive because you're getting a bigger check, but you're also giving up a lot more. And, um, you know, it's, it's much riskier for you too. If the label doesn't fulfill their commitments to you, you know, if they don't do hold up their part, then you're kind of on the hook for all these different areas of your career when you do this deal. That what if you don't like them? What if you guys don't have a great relationship? What if the people that were working there when you signed aren't working there anymore and you don't have a champion for you in the building and they're off looking at their next artist? Um, Do you want all of your elements of your career tied into this deal? And that's only a decision that you and your team can make, but these are the different kind of concerns that come in these conversations when talking about a 360 deal. Do you want everything held up in one company and um, sometimes it it can be good and sometimes it can't. So definitely be careful and understand what really is included in this deal and what you want to carve out. Now the 360 deal, there's, you know, it can be modified versions of this. So maybe it can include um, everything except the publishing or maybe everything except the touring. So 
it doesn't have to be all or nothing all the time. You can carve things out. So there's modified like 360 deals, but uh, just like anything, you, you can negotiate any way you want, but just know 360 deals do have participation in, in a lot of different areas other than just the sound recordings. And that brings us to our next type of deal, which is just the traditional record deal. So I'm kind of scaling down here. If you see what the 360 deal is, then a traditional record deal is going to be basically just based on those uh, sound recordings and um, kind of what's tied to it. You're not going to get a lot of the ancillary things. So a traditional record deal, as an example, you would see something like, you know, maybe the term is, um, you know, six months after the release of the album, say it's a single album deal, uh, kind of like the other one. So say you have a, you know, you have to record one album and uh, the term is going to end six months after the release of that. Otherwise, the, you know, you might have four options that they can then uh, choose to extend and, you know, uh, grant those options. So think of it again, like renewing. And uh, it'll also be based on a royalty rate. So say your royalty rate is, you know, 17%, but maybe there's some modifications. Like if it does over 500,000 units, it goes to 18%. Maybe if it, maybe if it does another 500,000 after that, it goes to 18.5%. So your royalty rate can also change and increase depending on the success of your album. There's also obviously, uh, you know, and that's again for US. Now, just quickly talking about kind of foreign territories and rates, what you'll often see in traditional record deals or in, in all record deals is your rate in foreign territories is deducted a bit. So, you know, you'll see something like in Canada, it'll be 90% of your US rate. Um, you know, in, in other major territories like the UK, it might be 85, in Japan, Germany, Australia. Um, some of those other bigger territories, it might go down to 75. And uh, sometimes you'll just see for all the other smaller territories, it goes down to 60% of your US rate. So it does get deducted for foreign territories. And that's very common. So, but that's, these are the elements of a traditional kind of record deal. They'll also fund your videos. So they'll probably have a video requirement to do X amount of videos, maybe three videos for three singles that come out. And uh, they'll give you money for that. They'll also give you a marketing budget. So those two budgets will be separate. One will be for video. One will be for marketing. And uh, the way they do that too, in terms of even accounting, they give you separate royalty statements too. So to kind of keep things, they'll have, hey, this is for your recordings. This is for your marketing. This is for your your um, you know video. And uh, you'll have three different budgets very often for that. They also may give you money to do some merch and uh, help fund the merch too, as well as touring. So these are different ways that a record company traditionally can help because all of these things help promote your album. They help generate revenue. They help engage with fans, uh, especially in terms of marketing. That's that's really, really huge. And you'll see a label definitely give a lot of uh, marketing money and uh, expertise and resources for your album in a traditional record deal. But they're not going to touch the publishing. They're not going to get involved in, you know, sponsorships or, you know, endorsements or, um, you know, things like that that may come from ancillary things that you're involved in. So just keep that in mind. And again, you can expand or scale these types of deals back, but a traditional record deal is just going to have those kind of core elements to them generally. So uh, that's how it kind of differs from that all-inclusive you know, 360 type of deal. Now, after we talk about the traditional record deals, um, we've started to see the net profits type of deal. It's a net profits deal. Also, you see this with independent labels. That's really where this kind of net profits deal came from with the rise of independent uh, record labels that, uh, that has happened. So, you know, we moved from that traditional royalty rate model and uh, went into this net profits type of deal. Generally, in net profits, people think of a 50-50 split of, of revenue, right? And But we have to understand what that really means because we're not talking about royalty rates here. It's not your 15% deal, your 12%, your 18% deal, where it has all these broken out different weight, uh, rates depending on where those royalties are coming from, how they're generated. Net profits deal seems a lot simpler, but it can also be quite complex when you get into the thick of it. 
So these deals are really 50% of net profits. And when we talk about net profits, we have to understand how that's actually defined. So they are often defined as gross receipts, less expenses. So now we have to understand, well, what are gross receipts and what are expenses? And uh, that's why I mentioned it earlier in the episode. You have to understand what's considered profits, what's considered gross receipts, and what's considered expenses because those can vary. And based on how those vary is how you're going to get your 50% of the money, of the revenue. So it's not just, hey, every dollar comes in, we split it 50-50. It's not that clean and clear. So when we talk about gross receipts, it's often, you know, all income that's basically received by the record label. And uh, this can include licensing income like for sync uh, that you see in those master use uh, uses and those fees that come in. Um, but it also can be mechanical income. Now, when I say mechanical income, that's income that's often paid to the publisher. And in a lot of net profits deal, they actually have provisions that say they're not going to pay mechanical royalties to the publisher because it's considered uh, gross receipts and part of the expenses. So um, you have to be really careful how the mechanicals and those royalties are um, defined because you may be actually missing out on your publishing stream there too, on the mechanicals that come from the sale of your album. Now, when we talk about expenses, that's the tricky part because when do you actually get your money? What expenses have to be recouped until you're ready to get your money? So that can be marketing. It can be basically any expense that's related to the album and the recording of that album. So it can be, like I said, the marketing, the recording costs, the distribution. It could be advertising you really have to keep an eye on your expenses and they'll be on a summary page of your royalty statement. So a lot of the time, the record labels will actually show you what those expenses are. So they'll show you the money that's kind of been generated and then all these deductions for expenses because that's essentially gonna go into your unrecouped amount, meaning money that has to be paid back before you actually get paid. So you could have an, uh, an album um, or a song that does incredibly well. and But you may not get paid because there were a lot of expenses that were associated with that that may be even beyond what you thought because of the different things that were included in the agreement. So you have to be really, really, really careful in these net profits deals. They sound good. Hey, we're going to split everything 50-50 and it sounds better than getting like a 15% royalty rate from you know a record label deal. A traditional deal, it sounds better. Hey, 50 sounds better than 15, but it all depends on what that actually means and when you get your money and is that split really better. So again, a lot of these things can look different and uh, you know mean a lot of different things and one can look more favorable than the other, but in reality and what you're getting and what's going back into your pocket and back into your bank account can definitely change. So be careful about these net profit uh, indie type of deals. Uh, I've seen a lot of artists get into these deals and uh, there's some great ones, but I've also seen ones where they've got a very low advance. Um, It spent a ton on marketing and distribution and uh, recording costs. And basically their advance could not cover them because they couldn't recoup the rest of the costs and they didn't see money for a very long time and remain unrecouped. So you know, I always tell people, look, you can get a $100,000 advance as an indie artist or $150,000, but if you don't recoup that and say three, four years go by, well, how much money are you actually making? They paid you basically, you know, $50,000 a year or less. That's just, you know, um, not very, very much money there as it really sounds. You know, it sounds great. Like, oh, I just got this $150,000 check. But if you don't get any money back for many, many years, then just divide that advance amount by the number of years that you're still unrecouped. And it starts to dwindle, um, especially during a time now. And this is a little tangent, but you know, so many artists are not touring. They're not generating these other means of income that they relied on. So when they got that initial advance and now they can't tour, they can't really sell a ton of merch like they once could at shows. So where are you making your income? 
So really be careful about the advances, guys. And, uh, you know, often it sounds like a big lump sum, but also try to measure, hey, when do you think you're actually going to start making money or when are you going to be in a place to negotiate for your second advance to keep you going? Um, Are they going to renew those options? Are they going to give you enough money at the time of those options? Do you want to try to get another deal that's going to be more substantial? So a lot of moving parts here and how you think about making that advance last financially for you. So that's net profits deals. Um, you know, they do own the the sound recording. So kind of like a traditional deal, they are going to own the masters. But um, the way they report those royalties and split the royalties is uh, based on 50, uh, 50-50 net profits. So that's that's the main core difference there. Now, uh, another type of deal, uh, this will be our fourth one here. This is the net profits license agreement. Now, a net profits license agreement here is basically they are there is no ownership of the sound recording. So that's the big, big point. Now, but they what they do require is it's a licensing term. So, and often this term can be for a long time. So, um, or I mean, it could also be short, but generally uh, I've seen a lot of agreements where the licensing term kind of is for a long time, like seven years or even 10 years. And they'll say, look, do a deal with us where we you're basically licensing us the right to use those sound recordings and distribute those sound recordings. Uh, but you own, you own the rights and uh, you're basically doing kind of this long, longer term deal with us. And it has less things to it. Um, you know, the advance amount's probably going to be less because they're not owning those sound recordings. But there's a longer commitment. They want to be in it more with you. They can probably offer a lot of different things, marketing and um, all the different resources like a lot of other deals but it's a licensing deal. So that's really good for if people want to retain the ownership of their copyrights and of their sound recordings, but also want to have a a good partnership with a record label and uh, still get a lot of the benefits that record labels can provide in terms of, you know, just advances and, um, you know, marketing and tour support and things like that. So that's just in terms of like a net profits licensing uh, deal. And it'll also be split based on net profits too. So um, you'll kind of see that taken from like the indie deal. Same kind of concept when we think about a net profits licensing deal, except there's just no exchange of ownership. And that kind of segues us into the fifth type of deal, which is a distribution deal. And again, there's no exchange of ownership there. We've heard a lot about distribution deals, especially with companies like United Masters or you know, a lot of different distribution companies that have popped up, but distribution deals can also be with major labels. You can do a deal with a Universal or a Warner Brothers or a Sony, um, just as well as you could do a record label deal. A distribution deal, just it, it just varies because it's not based on that traditional record style deal of exchanging ownership where you're based on an artist rate and all those things. In a distribution deal, you will get a percentage of the revenue that comes in as a royalty. So a lot of the times you can see it like maybe it's an 80-20 split, a 90-10 split, a, you know, 60-40 split. It all depends on um, the, the deal that you're doing to, you know, if you get a, a large advance, what they're going to do is a distribution deal can give you an advance and, uh, they'll have to recoup that advance. And then after the recoupment, then you'll split the royalties based on the, the percentage. And that can be different for different types of royalties. Maybe it's a 70, 30 split, but, um, for sync fees, maybe it's 60, 40. So, uh, 60 to you, 40 to them. So the artist always gets the larger share of that, Uh, of the royalties in a distribution deal. Generally, I've never seen a distribution deal yet where the distribution company gets more than the artist. But a typical distribution deal, um, you know, it can be structured in a lot of different ways, but an example would be like you do a a deal with a distribution company and say the deal is for, you know, two singles, one EP and one album. And it's they, they're still the same components of a record deal. So you do have your recording commitment. You do have your, you know, deliverables that you have to do. Um, they're going to want you to do videos often. So you can do, maybe you have two singles and you want to do two videos for those singles. Uh, you'll create an EP. You'll create an album. There can be options involved. So say they want to extend, you know, an option after that if the album does well and they want to give you an option. They can give you another advance. Sometimes that advance can be bigger than your initial advance. And that option can be for another contract period. So you still see a lot of the same lingo of a traditional record deal, but 
the royalty splits are different and there is no exchange of that ownership. You do retain ownership of your sound recordings. And they also can provide marketing you know, money and, and a budget for that. They can give a budget for um, you know, videos, uh, give you a video budget. So they still can act like a label and still give the resources of a label. They may not be willing to give as much money as you would see when you're doing a traditional record deal. And a lot of that happens with the advance is, you know, maybe in a record deal, they would give you a million dollars versus a distribution deal. They would give you $350,000 or $400,000. So it would be less um, often. But again, this thing can go in a lot of different ways, depending on what's actually in those deals. These are just, again, general scenarios that you might see. Um, and, you know, you wonder why, why do people, you know, if you can retain ownership, why doesn't everybody retain ownership? Well, sometimes it's, you know, a financial driven move. Sometimes they want a deeper partnership. Maybe there's a, vo- a joint venture involved. Um, there can be a lot of different reasons why people do more traditional style record deals and aren't so concerned with owning their masters where some people really want to own their masters. Maybe they have a lot of leverage that they've gotten from uh, as an independent artist and they don't actually need all the marketing and the big push and all the resources because they've already established themselves and they really just need a good partner to distribute that and give them more support, maybe bring them bring them to new markets and uh, tap into different marketing strategies that they have. But it it all depends, you know, that's why I say, you know, we hear about owning your masters and generally in theory and concept that can be good, but also there can be really good healthy record deals where you don't own your masters. That may be the right move that you need to do to get yourself in the next phase of your career. Um, You know, it it really depends. It really, really depends. Um, I personally have a lot of people in this day and age, I say, look, try to hold on to the ownership of your masters as long as you possibly can, because we have so many resources as independent artists. And um, there's only going to be more, there's only going to be more uh, things that pop up that support the independent artists and support you in owning your masters. And those masters can be very valuable over a long period of time. So my general kind of uh, way of thinking is, look, If you can own it and you can build a real great career doing that, then definitely do it. But I've had a lot of artists come to me that, you know, want to get into, you know, traditional style record deals and they're actually really good deals and labels are very supportive and they work out and and create a great career for the artist too. So again, you really have to think about how this is for you and what your personal goals are and where you need to get to in your career. Now, The last type of uh, deal we're going to talk about is just the, and I threw this in, generally there's five, I threw this sixth one in, and it's the distribution service deal. That's when you sign up with TuneCore or DistroKid or any of these distribution, CD Baby, any of these distribution companies where you actually pay a fee for the uh, release, for the actual distribution fee. So, you know, you could pay, it's a you know, $49 a year or whatever. They may have a promotion going on. It may be cheaper, maybe more expensive depending on what you're releasing. So, but you pay an annual fee often and um, you get a hundred percent of your royalties. So they actually don't commission off any of your royalties. And that's different than doing a distribution deal with like a distribution company or label where you are going to split revenue of those royalties. But in a distribution service, you're actually just paying the yearly fee and you get 100% of all your money. Now, I know a lot of people ask about this. How do, why is that deal even advantageous for that company if they're not even splitting in the royalties? And here's kind of the truth of it. It's really great for independent artists that are just starting out that really uh, are in the process of creating leverage to get bigger deals. These distribution services don't offer advances, so... That's a big part of it too. Now, what they rely on is that annual fee because to be kind of blunt here, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of independent artists that just record music and put it out and don't make the 40 bucks a year, even in royalties. Um, They may only make $10 a year or $5 a year. So, that's just, you know, there's a, a lot, a lot, a lot of artists. We have to think about how many people 
are distributing music. And it could be just for a hobby. It could be for a professional. Uh, it could be someone just starting out that's building their fan base and it might take them a few years to start generating money, but they still need the music to get out there. So these distribution companies understand that. So for them, it's better. It's a better business model for them to say, pay us this one-time fee so they can actually get like a minimum amount versus splitting royalties of something that could be very small. If you're saying, say you did like a, they took 20% of your royalties and you only made five bucks, that's not really great for them when they have to distribute your music and do all that work anyway. So paying that annual fee is good for those businesses because they establish their minimum and they work on a volume based. Obviously, you know, they're not as exclusive or selective as, you know, a record label or a distribution company would. So they're trying to do mass volume, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. So they're trying to rack up those fees and create this great resource for the independent community to get them started. But, um, and for the artists themselves, it's, it creates an affordable way of distributing your music. You know, people can come up with 40 bucks or 50 bucks a year. It's really not that much money and it's a good investment into your own career and it's a great way to, to have the, the platform to do it, to control your music. It's fast. Um, it's pretty transparent. They give you royalty statements. So both sides for independent artists and these distribution companies, it creates kind of a healthy relationship there to get independent artists started in their career. And even some that have had you know great success continue to use these services because you know they can make you know thousands upon th- tens of thousands of dollars just by building up their own career. I've seen several artists that do extremely well. They have hundreds of, you know, over a hundred million streams. Um, and then all they did was pay, you know, 40 bucks a year. And now they're making thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars without anyone really taking a commission. So these distribution services have popped up. There's more and more popping up and I expect more to be coming up in the future again because the independent space is growing. It's a great time to be an independent artist right now in the music industry. There's more places to make music, more places to distribute your music and uh, it's just really cool creatively on what you can do and have that independence and that freedom. So that was a lot of information today. <laughs> know that you don't need to all grasp it right now. This is probably my longest podcast episode so far, but I wanted to take the time to go over these different types of deals because um, I've just been getting so many questions about it. So I just wanted to create this for right now. And again, we'll be breaking these up and diving into them individually. I'll have episode just on 360 deals and episode just on net profit deals and uh, the advantages, the things you could negotiate. There's so much more to talk about. And this is why, you know, you can't get get this information just that fast and say, I know everything right now. It's a process. It's a journey. There's a lot that you need to know. And especially those who are getting into this business and want to have a better understanding because at the end of the day, you are responsible for your own career. Um, you You could have a great manager. You could have a great lawyer. You could have a fantastic team. But at the end of the day, you are still responsible for educating yourself and knowing how to take control of your own personal career. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Um, Again, we'll be breaking more of this down in later episodes. So keep listening. Make sure you subscribe. Stay tuned. If you have any questions, hit me up. You can reach out uh, to me on Instagram at paid in full pod. Also on Twitter at paid in full pod. And uh, let's keep this thing going. I appreciate you guys so much. And until then, I will see you on the next episode. 